we are here to answer your questions about classic minis, about life, about anything. I think we're going to have a really good time tonight. I, I always try and say, don't I, that uh, my channel is about getting rid of the black art of, of, of working on minis. For, for me, getting into minis, it was... Uh, I had a newer Mini of 2007, was um, one of the, the BMW Minis, it was a Cooper S, and I found out about classics, I'm like, you know what, that's that's what I want, that's what I want. There you are now, hello everybody. <laughs> Amazing. How did I get into Minis? It, it, it's something that just kind of happened from just one really good friend of mine asked me to build them, and I said, yeah, I'm doing nothing this weekend, I'll do that. Man, it's funny how quickly yeah. things can change. It's awesome to, to have so much uh, really good, fun chat with you all. And yep, that's the best part. I'd really like to make this a, a regular thing. Thank you to everybody again, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone, and uh, you know the drill. Enjoy those minis. See you guys on the next one. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome to hello, the next hello, episode. Hello. Oh man. I see, I see some Looks comments like... coming in already. Hello, all you <laughs> lovely people. Uh-huh. Got some stuff from Jamie, Max, TurboPhil, uh, Team Ballylock Classics. Hi mom. Uh, and Classic Me Projects <laughs> USA. <laughs> hello, the gentry's in Nocha. Hello there. I hope yeah. you're having a Wonderful time. Well, they're Enjoy exploring the show. and uh, having their own, own vacation right now. Ah, oh, what a yeah. wonderful place to go visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to make it up there north sometime. And really, they just like to go yeah. to Canada or in, anywhere in north of the U.S. I feel like it would be really, really pretty. Um, different from my experience down here. Where at? Yeah. Go and see the Canucistans. <laughs> I've never heard that term before. <laughs> oh my god! I watch That's a channel great. by a guy called AVE, which is something. Oh, what's his name? Um, oh, it's versus Ar something versus Arduino's. I can't remember. Somebody oh. in the comments might might remember. But um, he he's a I a Vancouverian. Um kind of an engineer guy. He he started his channel doing um, tool reviews and now he just talks oh. gibberish and has the crack. But um, nice. yeah, I, I, I like watching his videos, but he comes out with lots of those. He calls himself a Canucistan. Uh, well, actually, where it came from was he was trying to describe the money and he called them Canadian Copex from Canucistan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that thinking about it, I, I, I'm fairly certain their currency is just called the Canadian dollar. I'm not really sure though. <laughs> but that's a, a great dollar. Yeah. <laughs> Canadian Copac from Copac from Kanukistan. Oh, I think he was making God. light of the fact that it wasn't worth as much as a, an American dollar, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think there there's are uh, similar to the pound right now, I think. Uh, which is maybe a little better. I don't know. It depends on where you're buying something from. <laughs> Which direction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I um, yeah, my currency, yeah, stock market abilities are, are poor. 
<laughs> That's why we work on minis, not in the financial markets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, it takes me so long to invoice anybody. <laughs> my, my financial savvy is not good. No. Oh, man. But anyway. well, what's going on in so, your life these days? How are you doing over there? Oh, well, we're busy. We're busy. We're busy. Yeah. It's one of those times of the year you know when everything everything is getting busy loads of people are are anxious to get projects started and making bookings oh, yes. for next year and yeah yeah yep I weather's remember, starting to get cold uh, people not driving as much yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, show season ending too right race season's ending show season's ending which involves stressing me out but anyway that's all right <laughs> <laughs> Their stress is your stress. The joys of a, of a race Pretty mechanic. Much. Yes. Yeah, well, I actually have been doing a load of work on my own uh, Volkswagen Touareg. Touareg, oh. I think, is probably the correct pronunciation. Huh. Um, it, 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 we're doing, doing a top-end rebuild, taking the engine out and doing a top-end rebuild. But um, I was just chatting to him. He was laughing. He said, it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, people drop their problems off to you and you sort it out which you know whatever their mini or whatever it is he says but then when you have problems you have to drop it off to yourself and sort it out, you, know? <laughs> you just drive you you drive out of your garage around the block and then you bring it back into your garage and you, and, and you just talk to yourself no i ring while. no i ring myself first and book it in oh okay <laughs> <laughs> i send myself yeah. a strongly worded email yeah your, your partner's like why why is, last... am i with this guy i need to get out of here <laughs> Going crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I sent myself a strongly worded email. But anyway, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, the viewer. Oh. <laughs> oh, look, people are leaving. Oh. oh how strange. <laughs> oh, I can't understand oh. why. Who doesn't want this joy? Yeah. Oh, oh well. Hey, hey, ho. What about you? How, how's, how's good old Yankee land? Uh, it's pretty good. Weather is starting to get nice here. So it's like the beginning of autumn or fall and the um, it's finally starting to the heat starting to break and each day is just like it, it's nice to be outside. Um, it, what I call it is the beginning of one of the two mini driving seasons of a year. Um, ah. And uh, but of course, my mini isn't driving, you know, yeah. <laughs> how's that always work out? Like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, any driving times of the year. I was going to say of your time, but you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Cuts deep. <laughs> I don't have a working mini, so I'm not. Yeah, yeah, the, the two of us, like, fact, teaching people to work on minis, but don't have one working ourselves. Preaching here, we're not one of us one going. Um, we actually did this, myself and a friend of mine did this the other day, and we did this generally to just make ourselves feel better, but we went through. 20 people that we knew uh you know close to us that had minis and tried to figure out how many of them had working minis i think we'd five oh God. had five out of 20 20? oh my out of god 20. yeah oh yeah yeah oh. yeah 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 oh. so well hopefully that uh, the average is good average good hey look if we were into you know yeah <laughs> yeah you're yeah. <laughs> yeah it'll change the week no, I'm joking. Yeah, for a week, and then I'll be like, "Why is my oil pressure low? Why is my exhaust so hot? Are my brake lines What's melting?" That noise. <laughs> Actually, one um, quick funny one before we get into this: a very good friend of mine rang me today on his way back from a trip. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me. I highly tune in, but 
<laughs> he rang me on the way back from a from a trip down the coast, and he said to me, um, "Paul, you know if your whistling sound car has safe to drive." <laughs> <laughs> so, the the uh, is it safe yeah. question? I actually get that a good bit. It's like <laughs> I my my mini's making X noise, or my mini is 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 kind of doing this one thing. Is it still safe to drive, or will it explode? <laughs> it's it, probably fine. It's probably Sorry, guys, I have a little bit of a connection issue right at the moment, so my apologies to everybody if my video is turned around. I'm going to try and see if I can work on that, see if I can get a better connection. Um, well, while you're doing that, I can uh, say hey to a few folks in the chat here. It looks like we've got a few, quite a few people in here. Um, Callum, hello. Pip Squeak the Mini, welcome. Um, Turbo Cooper Sport, good to have you here. Uh, it's been a bit since I've seen you in one of the live streams. Uh, Capo Carpetta, well, hello. Um, let's see, Mark Shorak, hello. Hope things are doing well over there in, uh, in Manchester. Uh, Adrian and Dan the Car Guy, hello. So, well, today we are going to be starting to talk about ignition timing. Um, timing the mini, uh, getting things dialed in, the different types of uh, ignition systems you can use, and kind of all the little odds and ends questions you might have throughout that process. And then, of course, after all of that, um, we do a fixed Q&A session at the end of this live stream um, where you guys can ask your questions. We're going to be answering those. And then uh, if you like the chat, if you like the live stream, maybe consider supporting us on Super Chat um, through YouTube. Um, Super Chat questions are guaranteed an answer, and it helps us pay for the streaming software as well as uh, our channel. So we would very much appreciate that as well. Um, how you doing over there, Paul? I think. Uh, Look now, I, I I bumped us down slightly on quality, but hopefully that'll solve the connection issue for now. Nice. Your yeah, your your video yeah. quality actually looks a little bit more consistent now. So I think uh, yeah, my I'm side, not just three pixels now. I'm not doing my yeah. version of Minecraft Ireland Minecraft. Yeah, you're 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 at least five pixels now. Ah, oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's how I look anyway. If you oh, make okay. me in the real world, I'm, <laughs> I'm literally just like pixels. Yeah, that's all I am. Yeah, <laughs> I had it installed by the SAS about twelve years ago. It's it's a fantastic feature. Yeah, it's helped me. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. They, well, they install it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> well, that's how we do most of the work on the cars with a sledge. That's why I keep it up there on the on the wall. Yeah. You never know when you need it. As I always say, if it can't be fixed by a big hammer or a voice grip, it's an electrical problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, seems like a fact to me. There you go. Tech tips from Paul today. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying I'm desperately to reduce my customer load <laughs> next week. <laughs> oh. oh god. Well, I'm in a bit of a I'm in a bit of a humor today, guys. Sorry. Well, we see how this goes. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Well, to get started, I, we, we could probably tackle, maybe start off with the standard distributor style minis, um, and maybe we can kind of talk about a few of those things. Uh, you know, yeah. the, for, for those of you who don't know, a distributor is basically a, a method for controlling when spark plugs fire and 
cause combustion in your, in your engine based on the rotation of usually a cam gear or some sort of mechanical driven gear um, that spins a rotor and then creates contact at electrical um, contact points. Uh, and you can see, Paul, if you want to add anything to that, that was kind of like yep. the, the two cents, but you, you've got one there. I'm with you, yeah. Well, I've got one cap, but but the, yeah, the mechanics ah, well, are pretty eh. simple in them, right? Um, so yeah, a distributor is is exactly as Cole says. Just literally a means of getting spark from the coil, um, or a traditional distributor is a means of getting a spark from the coil to the mm -hmm. right piston at the right time, or to the right combustion chamber at the right time. Would be probably the right way to say it. Um, and I suppose the one thing that I'm going to start this out with is that. I think a lot of people think there's black magic in distributors. I think that yeah, there's or, so or, or some version of that. Um, so I think I want to try and get rid of as much of that to you for, for people today as we possibly can um, to, to, to try and distill this down to something that's real basic and simple, uh, which is exactly like Cole, Cole just said. It's um, trying to ignite a mixture uh, of fuel and air, which we've gotten into the combustion chamber and if we ignite it, we can generate some power and we can drive our pistons and make our cargo. And you need to think about distributor uh, ignition and distributor systems and timing as that, solely that mm -hmm. it is nothing else. Um, and, and if we accept that, then the only sort of black magic that I suppose comes into that then afterwards is whether there is, you know, um, is there power to be made or whether there is tweaks to be made to improve your car by that or um whether or not wow that that, that happened early cool um, <laughs> um, or whether or not i suppose uh, what we do with our ignition is going to actually give us performance uh, or, or or tangible performance increases or whether it's going to make our car more reliable or whether it's going to make our car um more fuel efficient and really they're kind of i suppose they're the three major steps that we can talk about so i suppose if we talk about um the the most basic form of ignition that that exists if you buy a standard mini from the i suppose uh 60s through to the 90s is going to come with um a distributor uh and points mm -hmm. based ignition system um yeah. and and i suppose in around those, uh, your mini probably came with when you bought it with that mm -hmm. particular set. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was. was, it, was it uh, on point? My mini actually had an A series from an Austin America in it, but it did have points. It was a very old um, original distributor, from what I could tell, uh, which ultimately got switched out with electronic uh, ignition inside the uh, inside the distributor, replacing those points, which we can talk about in a little while, I suppose. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a distributor from the factory um, and from the previous buyer. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I suppose let's talk about the, the functionality of that, all the different stages then of where we can go. So <clears throat> for, yeah. for, for the best um, outlook on a distributor, if you buy a, a, a mini, and you're trying to figure out whether the ignition system you have is working or not, or if it's working optimally or not. Um, the the three kind of um, really good, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, indicating 
factors are how easily does the car start? So if it starts mm -hmm. relatively easy, the single greatest load on the ignition system or where the ignition system is most likely going to falter is starting a cold engine. And um, because you draw so much current through the starter motor that you read the energy in the coil. And if you have a, an ignition system that's less than in good condition, you, it will be most nose starting. And yep. a, a lot of minis out there will do this funny thing that people sometimes don't actually recognize as being an ignition problem, but uh, they'll crank their engine to start it, but they'll find it only starts just as they let the key off. And then it will kind of make a spurt or it may not start or it may go again. And that's uh, because you're inducing um, uh, uh, current in the field windings and starter motor, which is going back to your coil and giving it an extra little boost. Make it go. Yep. And there's a lot of power being uh, pulled from a starter for especially older style starters. Um, you know, the the later style pre-engaged systems tend to draw a little bit less power. Um, and then the gear reduction style starters also tend to draw less power um, and produce higher torque for the same amount of power that you're sending to it. Um, but then the earlier inertia style starters tend to be very, very demanding of the electrical system. So um you know uh, assuming that you have a good battery and it's got good voltage and you've got any, no problems there you know you probably w are less likely to encounter that kind of scenario but it can still happen um uh, but as you start to move down in the voltage range your battery starts to go dead um you know those those are the kinds of things that are going to start happening especially on earlier cars um totally. and yeah. it go ahead yeah, I suppose the, the second thing is is this uh, maybe not so much on your side of the pond, but very definitely on our side, um, we, we get a lot of problems with wetting of the ignition. So mm -hmm. water coming through and a mini is really exposed in this because it keeps its coil sitting right in front of the grill and it keeps its <laughs> distributor right in front of the grill. So, yep. you know, uh, just, yeah, we get to pressure wash our uh, electrical system, you know, when we drive above 20 miles an hour. So, um, yeah, and I've that's certainly that. a good indicator. There's some pretty interesting mods to fix that, too. I mean, aside from moving to, like, a, a an electric-style um, points replacement, but you could... Uh, there are kind of low-tech options of, um, you know, a shield that covers that distributor that helps just keep water off of it. Um, and then in some situations, you know, if you're stuck out somewhere, you don't really have a lot available to work on. If you have just like a plastic bag, a lot of people will um, wrap their distributors in a plastic bag just to keep the water off of them to maybe, you know, get yourself home if it's starting to have some sputtering issues and things like that. Some pretty, hey, uh, um, pretty low tech ways. A rubber glove, believe it or not, is an absolutely wonderful ah, uh, piece yeah. of uh, One of those nitrile rubber gloves because yeah. you've got five if, if you get the black ones it'll look cool yeah it'll look really cool yeah. slide it right yeah. over <laughs> yeah and then you uh, cut the tips off the fingers and put all your leads through it and cable tie your leads onto the little finger ends and you've got like a, a perfect uh, <laughs> little noodles coming out perfect... yeah yeah job yeah yeah well, a hundred a hundred years ago um the marigold, I don't know, you guys probably have those as well. The, you know, the yellow dish washing gloves, the very popular ones here anyway, um, mm -hmm. were, were the one, they were the glove of choice if you had a, you know, your 850 was thinking hard of running uh, on the motorway. Oh, they had perfect finger distribution. Oh, they were just so perfect. Yeah. And, and that yellow, 
you, you, you wouldn't believe in, in Ireland, especially. You, you, you'd see the yellow glove through the grill. Yeah, even some of the, the I remember the 999 Coopers actually had a, a, a factory one you could buy that was like a mm-hmm. kind of an elastomeric cover that went over the distributor and also over the coil. Um, and yeah, it, it was kind of I like a rubbery, was, plasticky kind of material, right? Yeah, kind of shiny on the outside. It wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't think it was OE. I don't think you necessarily, they necessarily fitted it um, from the get-go, but you get it. Or maybe on the Coopers, they did fit it OE. I'm not 100% sure on that. Hopefully maybe somebody who who has a bit more, if Ian Campbell is still tuned in, he might well know. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that know about those things. He's our resident uh, anorak. Those uh, so distributors kind of moving uh, into you know we we mentioned electronic conversion kits and so these are uh, very very simple kits you can get them for basically every style of distributor that was on the mini you just got to know the model number um, yep. and they replace your points which is a small um, piece of metal that is making contact to uh, or uh, lifting and and, and kind of tapping as your distributor spinning around. Um, to create contact and then create that time of spark, uh, you know, when that needs to happen. And that's one of the biggest points of kind of heartburn, failure, issues that people run into with unreliability of distributors. Um, and that can be replaced with something that uses, yep, Paul has it right there. Um, that is a standard point style. Um, and the contacts are the two that are underneath his index finger there. Um, and then you can, that you can actually replace that unit um, one for one with a magnetic style electric um, uh, unit, I guess is the best way to call it. And yep, that's it right there. And so um, with that, you can change it out and remove that element of failure. And then you don't end up having to deal with a lot of the uh, wet driving situations that we were just kind of discussing. So um, those kids are very, very popular. Uh, I would encourage you if you want something to add some very easy reliability to your mini to pick one of those up. Um, and you don't necessarily need to buy the most expensive one that's out there. Um, there are nice ones. There are ones that are priced and then you can check on eBay. You can find some really good affordable ones that get the job done very well. Um, and it's very unlikely that you have any problems with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the great advantages of those uh, electronic um, uh, points replacement kit is also the fact that they give a very clean break, to, um, which means mm-hmm. you can get a much higher energy spark as well. For an engine that is starting to burn a little bit of oil, which you know Mini is very good at, um, as soon as you start uh, burning oil, you uh, mm-hmm. drastically change your octane value. And, and having uh, an electronic much higher energy spark, higher energy spark, ignite the fuel and air much more uh, readily and give you, um, well, just much better performance generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a lot of cars. struggle with meeting emissions standards you know the uh go through for their um 
safety test and emissions test. But um, one of the places we can often get great advantages on emissions is changing to something like one of those electric uh, igniters because um, you get a much more complete combustion um, and that you know immediately um, reduces how much hydrocarbons go back out the exhaust and you get a better, more efficient mini. That is very true. That's a very good point. And uh, so with distributors, um, you know, a lot of people, I think the black magic that you were talking about earlier in the, in the episode is uh, around getting that initial tune, getting the initial timing set, and then how to set timing in general, um, which feels like, you know, to someone who hasn't done this before can feel very, very confusing. Um, but, uh, maybe I'll start with some of the early basics. So when you're putting your distributor in, um, and then maybe you can, uh, round out the end with some additional tidbits, uh, and maybe some base settings. Um, cool. when, uh, you are installing a distributor, say you have just built up an engine, or maybe you have an old distributor, you've taken it out. Um, inside the hole where the distributor goes in your block, you have something called a, a distributor drive gear. They're a little bit different between the A series and then the A plus engines. Um, but there is in the Haynes manual, a spec that uh, kind of uh, in encourages you to put that gear in. It kind of slots into place. As you can see, I'm turning here. It turns as it gets placed in place. And then there is an offset and a line. And that line actually gets pointed towards your number one piston, the one that is closest to your radiator. And um, that is one of the first places that people will kind of run into issues because that tooth being off one way or the other can cause some heartburn. You, you can technically tune in time and engine even with those teeth off, but it might limit your ability to rotate the distributor. And then once you have that drive gear in, your distributor slide, slots in, and then your rotor on the distributor should be pointing towards uh, the number one cylinder. Um, and there's some additional information around that with like the engine needing to be at top dead center um, and uh, on the compression stroke specifically and all that, which can complicate things. Um, but realistically, there, your engine is at top dead center two times, um, once on the compression stroke and once on the um, exhaust. And so uh, that is kind of the first portion of putting the distributor in your car um, and where a lot of people will, without that foundation, not be able to get the engine in tune because that is out of whack. Um, and then once that's done, you are now in the process. You, you do need a timing light. It's very, very recommended. Um, but uh, then you move into the process of actually timing the engine. Um, and maybe I hopefully I didn't miss anything there, Paul. Did you see anything that I missed? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I totally. Um, the I'll give you a trick is all I'll do. Um, I learned this uh, many many years ago, and it has. I I still use it every single time I time any engine at all. Um, for and it works really well with a mini, especially is if you um are trying to find that sweet spot of where the distributor should go in. As you quite right, but um, you want to start off with the. Uh, rotor arm pointing at on the cap that you've chosen to be number one and on a mini that's kind of pointing between the alternator and the number one plug that's kind of where it is that little spot there and mm -hmm. um, now that's not to say that is where it has to be can't you can choose any of the four that you wish but you know 
that that that's kind of the factory standard. And if you've got a vacuum advance and it ha- it can hit the starter motor and stuff, so that that, that kind of gets all yeah. of that. But finding whether your engine's on uh, its compression stroke and if and and is the piston at top dead center. Um, sometimes minis don't have a very good mark for this down on the flywheel, or sorry, down on the <laughs> on the uh, pulley at the front where the um, fan belt is driven from. And a trick that I, I have used for years and years and years, and for anybody who is uh, um, learning this for the first time, this this will help you greatly, is to pop off the rocker cover and to <laughs> physically turn the engine over. And the easiest way to do that is get your mini on nice level flat ground and put it in third or fourth gear and you know pull it forward towards yourself um, <laughs> as you go. Um, what you will do then is you will turn your engine and you watch all of the um, rocker arms going up and down. And what you're aiming for is to have the two rocker arms over piston number one in the upmost position and the two rocker arms on piston number four, that'll be rocker arm seven and eight, one going down and one coming up. So they, they call it rocking, literally rocking. So you'll see one of them going down and one coming up. And the other two will be sitting completely up and they should have their valve clearance, their complete valve clearance. And TDC, if your everything is right and your engine is timed correctly with your camshaft timing and everything, TDC will be when the two on seven and eight, one has gone down and one has gone up, when they're exactly level with each other. That will be damn near uh um tdc it'll be near enough that if you put your distributor in there and you have your rear um uh, rotor arm pointing at one uh that you, you you will get the engine to fire with very little uh tweaking of the distributor if everything else is yeah. right you know you've got all your wiring correct and stuff so yeah little tip or a trick so I, I still do that every single time i time an engine so yeah it works very well i mean that, that that's a great way to do it and the and this is kind of with the, there are a few assumptions being made here based on your engine being um, the timing gear and the camshaft you mentioned kind of being in order, um, uh, not in order, but in working order, um, kind of as they were yeah, from, from factory. You know, if you have taken your engine apart and you've put all this new stuff in there and, you know, you're, your camshaft is way out of time or something like that. You've put too much advance on it, or maybe it just was not correctly installed before. Um, those can affect things downstream or rather upstream uh, on your engine and then kind of give you false readings there. Um, so yeah, this is totally. the assumption that you might be working on an engine on a car that you may have just gotten or um, something that uh, has not had a lot of work done to it. Yeah. So I suppose then talking about... Um performance gains and um, first thing i'll say to everybody out there is be very careful of falling into this, this um dark hole that there's up in a distributor you know in in modifying your distributor or you know affecting distributor because it just isn't the case like you know and what what you will find is that there is uh, the ignition system as I said, performs a very specific function. And that mm-hmm. function is to ignite the fuel and air mixture at the right time. If it is doing that, then that is all it can do. It can't mm-hmm. make any more power. It's not a generator of power. It's not it's not a it's not something that has the ability to, to, to enhance. You know, a camshaft can 
make an engine make more power because it can move an engine into a place where it breathes better so it can make more power or a cylinder head modification or an exhaust or even a carburetor you know, if it's been held back by the carburetor that's on it a new carburetor can release more power but but ignition can't do that ignition can work perfectly or not right but it it can it can <laughs> make more power you know? yeah because i get people who 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 ask me to fit you know like um, i know the ignition system you have the wasted spark ignition system like you have and they're disappointed because their car doesn't feel like it is any more powerful. And I explained to them, yes, but you had a perfectly functioning ignition system. It was working right. So yeah, it may be more economical. Mm-hmm. It may be more reliable, you know, and it may have time, but you're not going to suddenly magic power up in the ignition system. It is yep. unfortunately not there to be found. <laughs> that is a very, very sure. good point. And you, you are unlocking... You are not adding power. You are unlocking power that you may, if power is being added or making something more economical, it's something that you have been without and you are allowing the engine to now operate optimally. Um, And uh, yeah, that's a really, really great segue because people um, uh, often think, you know, as you just said, I bought this $500 one, two, three distributor why am I not seeing 20 more horsepower? Why am I not seeing 30 more horsepower out of my car? And it's like, well, the you the one, two, three is a perfect example. You have all these different ignition curves and those curves are um, what is going to allow your engine to operate optimally throughout the whole power band. And so your, your curve um, within the distributor is changing how much advance or um, how re- how much retard it has um, at any given RPM uh, range, I think is a probably a good way to to think about that. Um, and so, so you can yeah. buy a five hundred dollar distributor from you know from any manufacturer who has a curve on it, or you can buy a one two three and adjust the curves and see how it is on your car. Um, but yeah, that is kind of the yeah. basis. It's a really that's that's a really nice way of putting it, you know. So, so I only came to this realization a few years ago, to be honest with you. And um, when uh, I had a race engine uh, that I had just finished, it was running a mapped ignition system, um, and uh, the uh, series I was racing in required that we change back to the old original distributor. We couldn't use this. Um, mm. Uh, wasted spark ignition system anymore and uh i i removed it i put the the old system back on i brought it to the rolling road and uh, to my utter amazement the car made exactly the same amount of power as it made (laughs) with the wasted spark ignition system and when i brought it to the track and drove it it drove pretty much identically Uh, i couldn't Mm -hmm. it would i would very difficult It, it maybe didn't start quite as nicely and maybe it lacked a tiny bit of bottom end power because the distributor just couldn't give it the ignition it wanted down there. But other than that, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. And I had a really good chat with my um, Roland Road engineer at the time. And he said to me, the dyno guy, and he said to me, look, he said, the truth is, Paul, that your engine makes its power here and here really well between there and there. So it actually 
it, it is not just now mm-hmm. this probably is a bit of a segue towards what you're doing now charging your engine and once you start doing stuff like that you start running into the limitations of a mechanically controlled distributor system or distributization yeah. system um, and that's simply because you're going away from what is a if you look at what a, a normally aspirated engine is going to do, it's just simply going to increase in RPM to a fixed point. And then the only way you can make that accelerate again is to change gear, which allows that engine to go back down and rev up to that fixed point. And, you know, a distributor is good at doing that because the faster you spin it, the more the weights expand and the more advance it can give, which is perfect. Yep. But the minute you bring in something like what you have, where you completely at some point change the characteristics of the engine, which in this case is add boost, you need to do <laughs> something that distributors really don't like doing. And that's going from being advanced to retarding, which is giving less ignition. So I think yep. maybe it might be a good point to talk about advanced and retired maybe, and then we could talk about yeah. boosting. I think that's that's a good idea. I, and, and so the idea of advancing and retarding the engine um, at its basic level is you are changing when that spark is happening in each individual cylinder. So your distributor is choosing, um, you know, when both work is firing, um, when in that compression stroke, the spark is firing. And so if it's very, very far retarded, what's going to happen? And, um, you know, you might hear us saying this word, it is, we're using this in the kind of engineering sense. I've seen a lot of people who get a little confused by this. I just want to mention it real quick. Um, the act of retarding something is to uh, reduce or slow down or bring back. And the act of advancing is to um, move it forward or uh, increase when something might happen. Um, and so it's a, uh, an engineering term, and I think a lot of people get a little bit confused about that. But back to the topic, um, when you are spinning your distributor one way or the other, you are advancing it or retarding the system, changing when that spark happens. And so, um, you know, when that spark is going to happen inside your combustion chamber. So sometimes, um, if it is too far, you are going to see that spark happening in the intake system. Um, maybe before a valve is closing, you could in- advance it so far that um, the spark is going to cause that combustion to happen either in the intake track, um, which would be, I'm just going to get this as a visual aid. You're cylinder head is right here instead of having the explosion happen down here in the cylinder you're causing it to happen maybe a little bit inside the head or in this intake track if it's very very far advanced and then on the flip side of that if you have something that's super super retarded on your system you are going to have whoops um, you are going to have that explosion happening in the exhaust and you could see things like glowing hot red exhaust pipes, which would be an indication of a engine that is too far retarded and that explosion happening too late. So, yeah, basics yeah, of advanced yeah, and retarded totally, there. Totally. So, and, and the reason why we're advancing and retarding it is to just give the fuel time to burn, basically. So, if you imagine... Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you have a piece of timber and you put it on the fire, it takes a specific amount of time for that piece of timber to be wholly consumed by the fire. In an engine, it's no different than that. When you add petrol and air together, there's a specific amount of time by which that will burn. Now, as you increase the RPM in an engine, well, what's happening is everything in the engine is happening faster but that air and fuel still needs that same period of time to burn so the mm -hmm. only way we can beat that in an engine when we need to increase rpm is to ignite the air and fuel earlier on in the cycle so if you think about a engine that is at idle typically it's running an ignition advance of around eight to ten degrees somewhere around that a natural advance of around eight to ten degrees meaning that when the piston is eight or ten degrees before it reaches the very top of its stroke the spark is igniting allowing the mixture to be fully burnt as the piston gets to the top of its stroke where if that's you providing think that the in, most power too and that's true absolutely if you bring those revs up to say 4,000 RPM, that same period of time is going to be required, but everything is now moving so much faster that you might have to ignite that maybe as much as 30 degrees before the piston reaches the top of the stroke to gain that same amount of power. Now, what Cole talked about there, that ignition happening in the inlet or that ignition happening in the exhaust, absolutely. If you get this wrong or you give the engine too much retired or advanced either way then that's exactly what can happen you can lose power through your inlet or you can lose power out through your exhaust by not not by burning the mixture either too early or too late so when we talked earlier about that black art of ignition i think this is where people start to get a little bit i think confused and i think to to be try and be as clear as we possibly can here <laughs> that that fine tuning there remember that what is happening in the distributor is that actual physical lumps of metal are being spun outwards to create this retardation or this advancing right if they're being mm -hmm. spun out they're advancing right the truth about that lads is is that if you think about that that's a linear thing it's a straight line it's not it can't curve up and down it can literally go in steps of stairs that's all it can do so it can go out a chunk out a chunk out a chunk out a chunk an engine doesn't necessarily want that that's the problem sometimes what an engine actually wants is a completely different advance depending on its load now load mm -hmm. is something that we can get into but it gets a bit more complicated and load depends on how much of the engine's power is being used. So if you imagine your car spinning along on a flat road, it takes very little of the engine's power to maintain speed. But if you enter a hill, then all of a sudden you have a lot of load and you need to get a lot of that power out of the engine to get that vehicle to propel up the hill. So when we look at how we tune engines, we tune them not only for getting that optimum in that optimum amount of burn but we also tune them for economy and that is how much uh, load the engine is going to be put under so that's yeah. where we suddenly start to get into things like those one two three ignitions the and um, the likes of the um coil on plug or the wasted spark ignition systems having 
a computer controllability to this whereby mm -hmm. not only are we going to affect mechanically but we can digitally affect it if we know what speed and load is being applied to the engine yep and that is effectively what i am using on my car as we're going through this this boosted um whole deal is um instead of relying on a distributor and its linear curve or linear line really um as you very well put um we're moving into something called wasted spark but um allowing a computer to to trigger that um that actual ignition at a very so um you know as you're going through your power band instead of saying okay there's this much advance and this much advance and this much advance and this much as you're going up in that rpm range and load range you are saying okay i know the engine needs this much advance um, with this rpm based on the kind of load that i am delivering with boost or with you know whatever other means of power increase you're, you're doing on your car and uh with that that's where this ecu can say okay put this advance at this point but actually you know put this advance at this point and maybe less over here um you know here's where your turbo is kicking in so i know that i need to change the advance at that point to be a little maybe less advanced because we have boost and we don't want you know to cause your engine to explode or something along those lines um, and it, that also removes that mechanical drive gear that we were talking about earlier. Um, no longer are you relying on that gear and the camshaft to spin the gear and then spin your distributor. Um, all you are relying on is your, in most cases, this is a little bit different in every car, but in most cases, you have a pulley with teeth on it. Um, and I'm going to use a timing gear here just for uh, illustration, but you have a pulley with teeth on it and you take a tooth out at a specific point, um, which is really kind of variable. You can choose whatever that is, but most of the time people choose top dead center and then they take a tooth out when the, when the car is at top dead center. And when it is at that point, your sensor is seeing that that tooth is missing and that's how it has a reference to know where in the, the cycle of the engine um, it currently is and then it knows how much advance or retard it should be delivering at the point of ignition um, so it sees okay top dead center that means in half a millisecond i need to give five, five degrees of advance but then it pm range um, it sees, okay, I need to give it in a half a millisecond, eight degrees of advance or, you know, w whatever those numbers are, I'm just kind of making them up. But, um, and then that's where you get your fine, fine, uh, control over timing. Um, and that's what ECUs on modern cars are doing. Um, also though, uh, modern cars are often using fuel injection now, but in my case, I'll be using a carburetor still. So the ECU only controls when that ignition is firing. That's a lot of words, I know, but uh, for wasted spark ignition. But uh, uh, if there's anything you'd like to add to that, please do, Paul. Yeah, I suppose um, on on uh, wasted spark is a great topic, I think, and it's something that um, we'll do more on in the future. I think when when your car is up mm -hmm. and running and we have a really good demo example, we we, we will do a bit. You you'll be able to figure out tech so we can show. Um, oh. Uh, uh, live uh, Matt, look, I'm going to drop you in all of this now, but you, oh, you, no. you'll, you'll figure that out. I know you will. Yeah, I'll just screen share <laughs> myself going through mapping tables. It'll be so yeah, fun. Totally. Yeah, it'll be totally fine. You, you, you'll, you'll, 
<laughs> yeah. Boop. Cold camera goes off. Finish for today. Good luck. Oh, um, weird. No. the battery died again. <laughs> oh, again. Uh, no, we, we, we'll, we, we'll go into this in more detail. And, and it, it'll be an interesting topic because I'm actually looking forward to seeing how, how it works for you and to, to getting back talking about that stuff. Because what that actually allows us to do is to look more deeply into what is actually happening here. And mm-hmm. when we when we start talking about a boosted engine, we start talking about creating pressure in a combustion chamber uh, that is different to atmospheric pressure. And therefore, we need actually less time to burn that same uh, mixture that we would have had to have the last time. So you get into this situation where your actual ignition curve uh, retards uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of a stroke. It reminds that same race car I talked to you about where I had originally uh, mapped ignition then I dropped it back to the distributor. There was one very, very interesting incident in uh, in the whole power curves. What was very, very clear was we lost a very big chunk of mid-range torque. Now, interesting. It turned out to be no effect whatsoever on the race car because we didn't spend any time at that juncture anyway, so it wasn't actually a problem, and um, the car was was geared such that it ended up ever in that portion of the power band but it lost probably the guts of 20 foot pounds of torque in the mid-range uh, over a sort of a, a couple of hundred rpm and when we looked at that at that moment in time we needed to add advance that wasn't physically the system because if we had that much advance at that moment we would have had too much at the top end when the engine ah. became more volumetrically efficient because it was revving harder so like yeah, yeah. a lot of words quite a te- quite technical when we start getting deeper into that but i'd happily go there with people if they want to and we can have a look at that because we have really good data on that and it's um it's a, it can be a very interesting topic when you kind of get further into it and you start looking into well i don't know very interesting to me maybe other people think no mm-hmm. paul i just want the car to run nice stop <laughs> <laughs> but um well, yeah that piece about pressure is pretty interesting um because and and i might liken this to, to cooking actually uh for those of you who might have gotten into this like instant pot craze that maybe happened uh in the last year year and a half or so um the idea of uh, having a pressure cooker um, kind of, it kind of works on the same principle. It takes less time to heat up and get something up to temperature and cook it when it's under pressure because you can have a higher temperature just due to that compression because all the little atoms are moving a little bit faster. Um, as you compress things down, they generate heat and get angry and end up burning a lot faster. And so Instant Pot does this, your car does this, your radiator does this in your car as well. Um, you can uh, effectively increase the boiling point of water by increasing the pressure, which is what a lot of radiators do um, to allow you to not have boil over issues um, in your car when you have temperatures exceeding that of you know boiling you know, 100 degrees Celsius or whatever it is in Fahrenheit. I genuinely have no idea. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's very interesting, actually. It would go completely off topic. I know we're only just to say, but um, an overheating mini recently came to me and the customer went, 
was already almost launched the road of buying himself aluminium radiators, silicon mm -hmm. hose kits, new fan, electric fan, this fan, that fan, the other fan, tons of stuff. And I said to him, can I do one thing and try it? And then we'll go down the road of doing all that. And he said, yeah, sure. I said, we're going to change the rad cap. And I put one of those um, stant uh, proper, you know, uh, uh, motorsport type radiator caps on and mm -hmm. uh, what was on his car and i spotted it the minute i opened his bonnet was a really old decrepit um sort of three pound cap from like an old early 850 and um, oh, wow. what okay. happened was he had changed to a 1275 he had retained the original coolant system from the old 850 and you know the system under enough pressure to be able to take the heat from the engine, release it in the water, and and actually keep the engine running cool. We put a sixteen pound cap on the car, and it's touch wood and still running absolutely fine, and no overheating problems at all. So that was a quid, uh, you know, modification that took about three minutes to do. Versus, you know, yeah, I think God only knows what he would have into. With that that short three sentence fix right there, I think you probably sent at least half of our viewers. You know, the ones uh, located maybe down in the south of the U.S. or in in, in the southern southern Europe and uh, all these hot climates. Like, oh caps. my god, they finally fixed it! I need to check my cap. <laughs> <laughs> go go check your caps and come back to me. Do and it tell now. Me what cap you've got? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in amount of people that miss it, completely miss it. Mm -hmm. I had a guy years ago who came through my garage and he genuinely was at his wits end because he had replaced, put an aluminium rad in the car. He had done all the hoses. He'd done a new, you know, the thermostat bypass. God, what this guy hadn't done. And the thing was overheating. And when I opened it, there was this beautifully shiny aluminium rad and this dull old cap clipped down the top oh of it. God. And I said, is that the cap that came with the rad? And he said, no, funny enough, it didn't come with a cap. I would have thought it did. Oh and uh, yeah, it, it had gotten, you know, whoever was putting the rad together forgot to put the cap on or something. And, you know, he put a new, we put a new rad cap on. I, at the time, I had the heart to tell him that that was probably all that was wrong. <laughs> but anyway, I told him, oh, you've solved it now, you know. <laughs> That that is but, one uh, of my biggest pet peeves. Yeah. I have to tell you, it, and it seems to be a, a common theme with mini parts in general. It does, I, I've not experienced this in different car worlds, but with minis, it's like you buy things from a lot of pretty major parts resellers. I won't name any, but um, and they won't include something that is absolutely required to do it, like or to to install the part that you've purchased, like the radiator. I have received every radiator radiator I've received, no cap, none. Never come no. with it, you know. It doesn't you make buy sense. a new it a new K and N intake. Where's your yeah. or the intake manifold gasket not included? No. Like, don't, but don't why? Give it. <laughs> yeah, why? Why is this okay? Yeah, it it, it is one of those. It's a pet peeve, and it's 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 a mini thing. I don't know why, or maybe it's a British motor car thing. I don't know, but it, it is. I, I <laughs> we'll go off on one now, but this is it. I'm going to stop here now. A water pump. No, sorry, a thermostat. Uh, the other day, the thing you know, no thermostat gasket. You know, it's, it's just such a little simple thing, like you know. But it is. if you're changing the thermostat, you definitely are going to need a thermostat gasket. Like you're not, yes. you're not going to not need. Yes. It. Like and but, and if it's a matter of.
increase the cost and just include it please please <laughs> yeah i will pay another euro no problem yeah yep well yeah we are reaching the top of the hour um and i think that now would probably be a good time to jump into our q a section um what yeah, do you think see. yeah yeah so um, reminder for those of you who were not here at the beginning of the, uh, the stream um, and have joined maybe a little bit later, um, we are opening up the stream to our Q&A section. This is where we will be answering your questions. Um, and if you guys have any questions that you absolutely want answered, maybe consider using the Super Chat. Um, this does help contribute to the cost of the streaming platform as well as our channels, um, and we greatly appreciate it. Uh, and all Super Chat questions are guaranteed answers, but we will also be doing our best to answer all of the other questions that are coming in as well. So start asking those questions. <laughs> yeah, send them in, yeah. Um, an, an interesting one actually came up there. Uh, I've just been kind of watching some of the, the, the chat and um, the guys were talking about running, you know, Wasted Spark for, you know, for years. And, and uh, I remember back maybe, I'd say it's probably 15, it could be 20 years ago, um, when the, the a very interesting guy in the States, actually your side of the pond, uh, figured out that he could make a little module that would interact with the Ford uh, EDIS system. Uh, so oh, you, could, you could scavenge a Ford EDIS uh, module and the Ford wasted spark coil pack from that era, and you could um, you could put that in and and work on with this little module. And he actually sold it a bit like an Arduino is sold. All of the resistors and you soldered the hard together yourself and put it into a, wow. a little closure and you connected it into the EDIS and, and built yourself a wasted spark ignition system. Um, was very, very uh, um, kind of ahead of its time. Like, you know, we were dialing into the yeah, internet. Yeah, that's with super creative. Like, yeah, it was brilliant. It was phenomenal. And we used to order it from him. I, I think the guys, the, they, it was called Mega Jolt was the name of the, and I presume mm -hmm. they still exist. And they're they're doing hopefully still doing brilliantly well for themselves. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Just... It's funny. Mini performance actually just mentioned. Isn't that Mega Jolt? <laughs> that, yep. That's exactly the one. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Mega Jolt. Yeah, back in the oh. day. Here's a question I want to answer. What's the benefits of a turbo? Well, you see, <laughs> going fast, making noises, and having fun. That's the benefit right there. <laughs> I Not I thought it was because you could, you could I thought I thought the sole purpose of turbos was so when you had a, a you could add a dump valve no was that not was that's that the not? only that's reason that? yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for those of you who don't know what a dump valve is it is yeah. a small valve connected to your boost system and when you let off your accelerator and all of that extra boost that's not now going that is now not going to be used by the engine comes out <laughs> and that's what and makes it pushing sound that everyone yes oh if you hear that it must be powerful let's see i mean obviously yeah <laughs> let's see what else do we have here uh mark c says hey uh, big fan of both of your channels thank you um is there an Thanks, advantage mark. of 
whoops, lost the chat here. Is there an advantage of changing to an electric fuel pump over the mechanical fuel pump? Hmm, very interesting. Is there an advantage? I would have to say, like, I don't know whether you're wondering if there's a performance advantage. I'd say there's an advantage, all right, and the advantage is more than likely going to be long-term reliability, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. Performance advantage would only really come, I think, when you reach the capacity of the mechanical fuel pump to pump fuel. Possibly. Although yes. in, in, in the turbo setting, that would be different because you need to get fuel pressure. Um, so yes. go on. Cool. Yeah, with, I would, I would totally agree. There's not a, a performance inherent performance benefit to, um, uh, an electric fuel pump, but, um, the old mechanical fuel pumps, the way that they're driven is via the camshaft. You have this like beam that goes into the engine block. And then as the camshaft's going, you have this like kind of chopping action that's happening and it's pumping fuel through this thing. And uh, I like the electric pumps better. I find that they're more reliable, um, as you said, Paul. And um, you have more control over that pressure. Um, so for a turbo setup where you need the pressure of the fuel to increase as you are increasing the, um, the flow of air and, uh, and you're trying to get more power and adding boost, um, you need an electric pump really to generate that additional pressure, um, and flow really additional flow to accommodate the pressure that you require. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Let's see here. Okay. Eight says, with the risk of starting a debate, what is the best engine oil to use for a uh, road or, uh, sorry, best engine oil to you for road or race? I'm going to let you answer that first, Mr. Race Mechanic. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. Um, <laughs> <that's strange>. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, there, there's a million different oils in the market. There really, really is. And the best oil for your engine is going to be the one that meets the specification of the greatest number of components, right? You're so, you're so <laughs> that, full of it. Get out of here. So it sounds like that a, that a solicitor wrote that for me earlier this oh morning. Oh my God. You need um, to go run for parliament. <laughs> have shovel, will dig. <laughs> So, Paul, I will add a little bit to that. I would say for my yeah. North American market, uh, I would say my favorite high-performance oil is Valvoline VR1 oil. It's a high zinc content 20W50 oil. That's my favorite. And then for more of a road-going car, you can use that same oil. Um, but I have had very nice experiences with miller's uh 20 w50 oil as well um yeah and absolutely. Uh, i mean here's yeah. one for you right i've been running um valvoline um uh I, jesus i can't remember the exact spec off my head i feel like it was 1060 but it's something it's it's somewhere around that which in a normal mini would kill the gearbox in probably ten thousand miles probably less but it works perfectly fine in my race car because I'm using dog engagement gear kits and there's no synchros to have any issues there whatsoever. All of the mm -hmm. bearings are 
absolutely more than happy to deal with that oil. That oil is well able to um, maintain a, a pressure film at that at that um, uh, junctures or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's and that and that is where uh, while I did you know make the most uh, uh, non-answery, most pol politicians answer to that question. <laughs> components are a very key aspect of oil choice and you know you mentioned the high zinc uh, you know people don't seem to realize that that's not an engine thing that's a gearbox thing we need zinc for absolutely. The gearbox. absolutely in fact let me be honest stainless steel valves don't like high zinc at all it's not it's not something mm -hmm. they like and um, and if you've got bronze valve guides with stainless steel valves running in them you can expect significant valve wear with um high zinc content but mm -hmm. it's a payoff you know which is easier yeah. to deal with on a mini the gearbox or the cylinder head i would much prefer to be putting valves in a cylinder head than replacing gearboxes so oh god yes absolutely so hold the know, engine that, just to, to replace some stupid synchros or deal with yeah, some yeah. fiddly bit in the gearbox because you wanted to make sure your valve guides were lasted longer but you know uh -huh. and so yeah, we yeah. have a, a super chat from Barry um, saying, thank you for that, Barry. Uh, and oh, he Barry, has a question you. for you, Paul. Um, okay. Paul, as you know, the engine I'm building is uh, a programmable Dizzy worth the investment or is the standard one good enough? So the really simple answer or the most straightforward answer to that is you will achieve a, 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 the performance that that engine has in its peak power and its peak um, torque with a distributor that is, you know, in good working order. Is there advantages like we were kind of talking about earlier on? There may be advantages from the point of view of making the engine more reliable in wet weather. You may well find that you can get a better over power curve from a um a csi i think they even have one now that you can do on your phone so mm -hmm. you know definitely if you end on bringing that car to a rolling road and getting him to tune it to get the most out then there is advantages to be had with a with a, a modern mappable ignition system but if if what you're really interested in is getting peak performance and peak power then a good quality standard system will work fine Yep. I resonate all of those things. I know the question was for Paul, but I am going to say I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, sorry, I just seen one coming in from uh, Turbo Cooper Sports about internal fuel lines. It's not really a question, but it is a very good point. Um, mm -hmm. And I actually just had a chat with uh, um, a guy there recently. Who was running a road car to to run in strongly dissuaded him from that, and um, because to be honest with you, internal fuel lines make a lot of sense in a racing car which is equipped with a proper fire suppression system, um, yes. and it, it makes complete sense there. But in a situation where you have carpets, soft furnishing, seats, adding into that mix the potential for high pressure fuel, in my opinion, is a recipe for disaster especially in an old classic type mm -hmm. vehicle yep. that will not and come off well in an accident mm -mm. 
Yep. No matter what, you are going to be in relatively bad shape with an older car in any sort of accident. You know, there's no way around that. But the, um, the, the, even additionally, from all of the safety items, you know, kind of withstanding, which are extremely important, um, as Paul's mentioned, um, rubber hose, almost all rubber fuel lines, uh, even hard lines will sweat and they sweat the smell of gasoline. Um, and it is, it will make you high. It, it is very, very <laughs> overwhelming. There's a reason when you see race cars, you have these like huge fresh air vents being funneled directly into their helmets and like, you know, channels being run, you know, there's so many fumes generated and you're all by putting the lines inside, you're adding additional fumage into your car too, um, which is not great. No, I completely agree. Um, I've seen a lot of road cars over the years come in where people have put fuel lines through the car. The only system that I have ever seen, and I, and I don't, I still don't recommend this, but if you absolutely insist that you're going to put fuel lines through your car, spend the money and buy Teflon lined piping and use proper air equip um, uh, mm -hmm. quality uh, bulkhead fittings, you know, Put it this way, someone came to me right now and said uh, the best system for running fuel lines through a car, expect to pay three or four hundred euros um, and mm -hmm. for the equivalent to that in dollars to, to plumb a fuel mm -hmm. line inside a car safely. And, yep. and even then, it's still going to be questionable. Uh, as opposed to 20 quid's worth of copper pipe and you can run it externally and it'll be perfectly safe and, and, and just as reliable, you know. Yep, totally agree with that. And um, we mentioned this in our last live stream, but um, there is additional consideration with fuel lines now uh, with the ethanol or heavier ethanol content in your in your fuel. Um, and there's this great meme: uh, any problem that you have on your car is it's the fault of the the new e ethanol fuel, which is. Uh, uh, not necessarily the case. It's just it's it's starting to uh, identify um, issues with your car that maybe you didn't know you had, or maybe you did know you have, uh, and you might not have been addressing, um, namely old rubbery fuel lines and, and things of that nature. Um, so you know when you are putting new fuel lines into your car, you're also going to want to think about the ethanol content and adding lines that can handle that because. Um, old rubber lines will essentially melt from the inside um, if they don't have the right lining, which is that Teflon lining. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I, I can sense in the near future us having a conversation about these fuels and their effects on minis. Um, I, can, I feel, I don't know, it's one of those, it's, I think it might just be my... Um, fifth sense or whatever but i can hear it coming. <laughs> you know we have five senses right no it's your sixth no no i don't i don't oh you don't. i can okay. barely see i can barely see cole without these airpods i can't hear my, my sense of touch tongue being burnt off my skin from the welding you're like the men in black with no fingerprints maybe three at max <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh, yeah yeah
Yeah. I was being good to myself by putting a fifth sense in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We had a question um go up here a little bit higher. Let's see here. Um that was kind of ignition related. I wanted to mention uh Jelto says, what are your not using a vacuum advance on a fast road engine or any engine? And what kind of degrees should uh, be, it be set on idle when not using a vacuum advance? Hmm. Wow. Okay. You want me to start? Or you want to start? Go, go, go. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So first things first, um, assuming that you are using the vacuum advance, uh, which I would probably run regardless, um, you do need to be setting your timing, your base idle timing without the vacuum advance connected and those lines plugged. Um, you are not going to be setting your base timing correctly if either of those are open or if they're just disconnected, like hanging off somewhere, it's gonna cause a vacuum leak and then cause uh, timing issues. Um, but that said, I personally have always run the vacuum advance even on high performance engines. I think that it's generally speaking the right choice to make, um, but I am prepared to be wrong on that. So uh, uh, curious to hear what you think about that, Paul. So yeah, I generally recommend to people that I would ditch vacuum advance once I started to get into sort of anything more than a fast camshaft. So if you start getting camshafts that are breaking 20 degrees duration, really, um, vacuum advance starts to become a problem because of a characteristic that happens called reversion. So um, in, in engines that have um, significant amounts of camshaft in their early stages of throttle opening, so part throttle opening, um, you get or you experience a symptom that is known in the industry as the engine being off its camshaft, which is basically uh, there is fuel and air being sent back through the inlet system. And it's it's just a part that we can go into that another stage. The truth is, is that causes weird things to happen with vacuum advance, whereby it can actually draw a re retardation into the system. So it can actually put pressure down the, yeah, it can put pressure down the vacuum advance system and it can actually retard the ignition, uh, which can be very uh, poor for an engine that's at, you know part throttle that's already suffering this reversion so yes i would i would always go vacuum advance um with a performance engine up to and including engines running about 260 duration once you start getting outside of that um that's when i'd start ditching the vacuum advance as far as what angle should it be at um at idle look i can give you a ballpark figure and i'd say to you to to start with around eight degrees, it tends to always be a good starting point. But mm -hmm. to set ignition timing on a performance engine, it needs to be done by a trained professional who has the ability to load that engine at a few different places um, and listen for detonation and be able to also check fueling at those points. So really, mm -hmm. I can give you that, that baseline setting and say, start at that. What I would always do, and this is a personal thing, if I was going to run an engine that I knew was performance in nature, I wouldn't really care very much about what its base setting was. 
but actually what its maximum advance is. And so I'd run the engine up to around three and a half, four thousand RPM. And with my timing light, I would check and I would be looking to make sure I wasn't getting much more than about 27, 28 degrees of advance. And 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 for a mini, in most cases, that that is a very safe setting. And um, but again, as I said, back that up very solidly with you really shouldn't be mucking around with that stuff um, unless you really know what you're doing. Um, and, and, you know, uh, it, it, for the sake of the few hundred quid it might cost to get it properly set up, it's very worthwhile when you think how much you've invested in that engine to make it performance related. And I think those are great tips. Uh, we sometimes suffer from the inability to have um, a trained professional here in the U.S. who uh, um, can do these things for us, unfortunately. And those tips are really great. Uh, you know, the base setting, that's a, that eight degrees at idle is a very good safe setting for you to kind of start out at. Um, and that maximum advance, the thing is you don't want to just shove it up to maximum and, uh, you know, at 4,000 RPM, you're like, yeah, all right, it's at 27 degrees. Um, you need to see how your engine is running. You need to see, um, you know, how it feels. And like, uh, it really, if you have some way of measuring and checking that detonation, maybe you find a shop that doesn't, that has a rolling road, that has some sort of detonation um, uh, tool. You know, they have the ability to, to check to see if you're getting that detonation. Um, and then maybe you, you, you get in there and, and tune it a little bit. And most of these shops, while they don't know minis, um, you know, if you find someone who is helpful or is, uh, willing to kind of get in there with you, um, you offer your help offer to get in there and say, okay, this is how the distributor is working on this car. Give them some base information. Um, they might be able to help you out. Uh, so, um, but that still kind of goes back to try and find somebody who is a professional who can help you with this stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, with the other one, uh, bearing in mind, obviously, you guys struggle a little bit with trying to find, um, you know, people who, who can do this. If, if you're in, in that stage where you're learning to set ignition up and you're learning to kind of um, listen for it, um, one of the simplest things you can do is find yourself a reasonably steep hill and mm -hmm. you can you get yourself in the position where start with your ignition backed off. Don't start with it wound on, start with it backed off. As I said, start with six or eight degrees and try your car through the, and you're listening very quickly for what is the sound that, that Cole described as detonation. And this sounds like a, a, a clattering or a clink sound in the engine. If you have drove a modern, small uh, turbo diesel engine, um, uh, and given it hard acceleration at low RPM, you'll hear this kind of a the, this detonation sound because they actually allow them do that. Um, the ECUs can actually control it, and you hear this kind of a, a clunk. I, I I always there's there's a, a place very near me that teaches people how to drive, and they do hill starts on my road a lot, and I hear <laughs> it all the time. I hear detonation all the time when they do these hill starts. Um, and uh, it, it amazes me actually how much an engine will put up with that and allow that. But modern fuel injection systems uh, and ECUs can actually detect knock and allow a, a, an amount of it that's safe and um, you know hold back from too much. But yeah, we might have so, to do a segment on 
I think that would be a really good thing to have a segment on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'll show you how to make deck cans one of these days. (laughs) It's a way of listening to to not knock. I I actually know who we did them for. Um, uh, Our our friend that makes our t-shirts. Oh, yes, Mr. Lewis. Yeah. We made him a set because he hasn't got a rolling road near him. And uh, yeah set of deck fans, which is like of um, headphones but it has a tube on it and you can listen to the engine you bolt it onto your engine and you can listen to hear detonation very good way of tuning um, that's pretty uh, cool you know if you don't have it so yeah we'll do a, a diy with paul and cole <laughs> i'll show you how to yeah make that'll it be cool <laughs> <laughs> all righty so we have um one of the folks that's uh, on my patreon alex uh zavaro he is actually out in hawaii um we've oh, got you. ethanol free fuel here um but i've never tried it um do you think it'd be right re- better than using regular fuel um i would say yes i would use ethanol free fuel if i have it available to me because the ethanol in the fuel is even if you have, uh, I, I don't know what, what work you've had done to your cylinder head, but if you have the stock valve seats, ethanol fuel can be very aggressive and uh, damage those valve seats from the original leaded um, fuel uh, cylinder head. So a lot of times hardened valve seats are put into the cylinder heads now to help handle that ethanol-based fuel or not unleaded fuel um, as well. And so I, I would say absolutely. I think it's going to extend the life of your engine. Um, and you're going to have less issues down the road um, if you can consistently use it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to add to that, just uh, I I've started to see because people are using it here, and started to see it's very aggressive on the SU needles as well. I've seen SU needle uh, one car come in here that that started to run really poorly, um, and there was quite a significant amount of needle and um, jet damage and um, now mm-hmm. I, i'm putting it down to the ethanol at the moment i don't have conclusive proof and um, but this car was running fine for a year and then suddenly uh, the fueling started <laughs> to go wrong and yep. what has changed in that year um you know so and um, we'll watch space but if if i had the option to get away from it i would i, I would run my car on on, on the lowest yeah. ethanol possible. And that is something to think about. I mean, these engines were built for an era that had both leaded fuel and no or very, very little ethanol count in the fuel. So the closer you can get your fuel to what the factory was expecting them to run on, you're probably going to be in better shape. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you pick us a question? Okay, we a couple came in there. Um, what was this one? Um, oh, I, I seen one popped in. Maybe you can find it. Um, that was um, where was it? Where was it? Was it? Oh, um, the guy was asking. He had his distributor set up, but I think it wasn't starting, and he had to wind it back. It's gone by on me. I can't. See it, but yeah, I think this one here is it. Uh, Gidrius, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Hey, uh, where should I start my troubleshooting? Timing done as it's supposed to be, um, 998 with an HS4 carburetor. Uh, to start the engine, I have to rotate the distributor anti clockwise a lot, and then only then it starts. 
Um, then to have smooth running engine, I have to rotate the Dizzy back to the mark. Any tips? That's Ooh. a tricky one. Yeah, that sounds to me like one of two things. Um, I, I think Mini Performance may actually have, have mentioned this as well uh, in the comment section. Um, it, you may well be out one point on the cap. In other words, you, mm -hmm. you've gone... Uh, you had your cap pointing between maybe uh, not not pointing at cylinder one. It might be pointing actually more closer to cylinder number four. And by you actually winding that back, you might have got there. And Mini Performance mentioned this, which could also be it. Sorry, lost my microphone. That's okay. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah, he was talking about the um, he was talking about the drive. So basically, the drive is the thing that the bottom of the distributor slots into. So in the bottom of your distributor, you have um, this drive here, and it is not symmetrical. So it it's actually offset. So Cole has shown you there what it would slot into, and you can see that it isn't symmetrical. So Typically speaking, you want that slot pointing at two o'clock and um, pointing up towards two o'clock. But if you have it the exactly a budget one, it's the red whack. Hmm. Have I gone down here? All right, are we back? Can everybody hear us? Looks like Paul might still be frozen. Hey, Paul, can you hear us? Sounds like you're starting to come back. If you guys can hear us, uh, go ahead and drop a message in the chat.
Hello, everyone. Looks like we are having some technical difficulties, so I'm trying to get everybody back connected here. All right, so it uh, looks like I will hold down the fort here until we get Paul back reconnected. It looks like I see him in the background here. All um, right. Back. Yeah. Hello. All right. Minor tilties. All right. That'll just keep us on our toes, eh? Hello. Hello. We're back and we've located the princess. <laughs> so looks like Paul at least is still frozen on my side here. So I'm going to hold down the fort. Uh, we can continue asking questions until uh, we'll get Paul back in here. So for those of you who asked questions in the last like five minutes or so, um, I didn't see them and I don't think Paul probably saw them either. So if you would be so kind as to post those again and we can get this, uh, get the stream back going here. Oh my gosh. Like we just can't win today with the technology. I think we got Paul coming back in here. We're coming there back. we go. Are you here? <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Computers Jeez. are hard. I... Wow, technicals, many. <laughs> <laughs> my apologies, everybody. The internet just ran out in Ireland. There was none left. I had to uh, uh. get more internet. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I guess that happens. You probably ran out of your pot of gold, right? That's, this is what it is. Um, there was another person in Dublin who also needed to use the internet, and unfortunately, we had to use him for a minute. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, classic dial-up was, huh? Oh, look, it's the way it is, you know. But um, I got my mother off the phone now, so we're away again. <laughs> mom, mom, get off the phone. I'm doing a live stream. <laughs> Bloody hell. Oh, man. Uh, oh, so, okay. So where were we? 
I have no idea. We were talking about drive gears there for a minute, and then you were holding up a distributor. I was holding up a drive gear, and then that's, I we think, We broke the out. internet. <laughs> Wait, that's all we did. We, we just broke it with all of our mechanical talk. We're so good, yeah. It was the E10. That's what done it. Bloody E10. Oh, I think some of it, damn it. Dripped, it dripped off this distributor onto my laptop. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Okay, so yeah. We were doing this, and basically what we were saying was that this guy, I can't remember the porn pond's name, but he was having trouble, and we reckoned it was one of two things. Either his distributor wasn't pointing at the right spot, or he might have got this into the wrong um, position. So these are offset. They're not symmetrical. So there's only one way in it can go. So you got to match the two of them up. I think that will answer that person's question, hopefully. Yeah. All righty. Let's so, see. What else do we more. have here? We have a few more. I asked everybody to post their questions again because neither of us probably saw them as they were. Uh, yeah. We were gone. Sorry, guys. And it said mini performance said, "Don't worry that they were just abusing us while we were gone." So. Oh, it's that's a big fine. Deal. I look forward to when I watch this stream back uh, at some stage to watching all the abuse that that came my direction. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Max uh, Lazardi says, "How are classic mini values doing?" Kind of unrelated to ignition and timing, but kind of a, a general question. Um, and uh, I would I would say uh, they're they're doing pretty well, uh, especially for some of the older ones. Um, <laughs> there are some folks making some pretty pennies off of minis right now. I I'm amazed actually. I, I I'm honestly amazed that somebody asked me this the other day have minis reached their peak yet in value and i actually don't think they have i think there's there's more to go and mm -hmm. it's in one way that's frightening to be honest with you because some of the older stuff like you know um early s's now are, are making sort of you know 50 and sixty thousand um pounds sterling uh which which for is me, that just seems bizarre. It absolutely does. But yeah. um, I, 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 I think that that they haven't reached the, the, the peak of their value yet because we're seeing an, a stage right now where minis are still relatively easy to come by. Um, mm -hmm. Give that 10 more years and, and you're going to see a lot more mainstream minis reaching values like what cooper s's probably are making now that's the way i can kind yeah. of see it going it's um, pretty wild that's, that's too i mean the, the the idea of spending that much on a mini seems so foreign to so many people um but when you compare it to other classic yeah i mean when you compare it to other classic cars though you know these these cars that are in this age range, that's the kind of money that they're fetching. And I think minis are actually kind of trailing behind most other modern I cars. I really think they are. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that's why we haven't seen the peak yet. I mean, I got a huge shock in last year, actually, when I started looking for um, a Series 3 Land Rover again, because um, I had had, you know, I had had them pass through my hands 20 years previous for hundreds of euros not thousands and then mm -hmm. i looked at the market last year and, and got an absolute shock of my life when i seen the prices that these vehicles were fetching now so uh, the whole classic car market to be honest with you anything sort of 
60s and 70s seems to have just skyrocketed in value because I think there's thankfully actually a resurgence in in people have suddenly realized how cool it is to have these pieces of motoring history and, and, mm -hmm. and keep them alive and keep them on the road so fair play to everybody who is spending that money because you are keeping them alive and keeping them on the road but yeah yeah I can, I can it, it's funny on, on one hand you're keeping them on the road and then on the other hand it's like make, it's making it harder for the common common fella to to get into it which is saddening unfortunately but, you know unfortunately, yeah, I guess. yeah yeah and and you're seeing that more and more i'm I, i'm seeing more less and less young um starter out people in minis uh, like when i i got into minis i got into it in my teenage years you know whereas mm -hmm. i don't see very few teenagers with them now i i, I don't yeah. see them you know because they just are un, unobtainable i think mm -hmm. word yeah so looks like we got a super chat in here from mark b thank you so much Thanks, and mark. thank you he very says, much he says my intake man um my intake man has two hoses on top one connected to my servo and a much smaller one uh, that the previous owner snipped and plugged with a screw thoughts yeah i have an idea what that might be yeah um, go for it okay so um I'm not sure where the holes are coming out of your intake. They sometimes were in different places, but um, most intake manifolds had uh, that had a servo attached to them had this kind of like boss on them um, or had a port coming out of the carburetor. Um, one of those, as you have on your car, is running to the servo, which is creating that vacuum um, to operate that servo. Um, but a lot of them have either a connection here, which you can see I've got a hose that's kind of wrapping around. And then there's sometimes one on the manifold here. And then there's sometimes another one right there. Um, those three generally are connected to the breather system. Um, actually, you know what? This is a turbo carb. It's a little bit different. But um, my guess is that you no longer have uh, lines running from your breather um, your crankcase breather that might live on your uh, transmission uh, transfer housing where the clutch is um, or on the back side of your engine. Um, you no longer have those lines running up and into the intake. They might just be vented to atmosphere. Um, so it's probably just a plugged breather line. And that's a very common way that people have kind of deleted those would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only other time I've seen that was some of the Ocelles or that, those type of aftermarket manifolds had a vacuum port on them for a gauge. Um, back in the day, vacuum oh, gauges yeah. were a big tuny thing, and a lot of people used to run them. Uh, and they would have a, a little slim vacuum port on the inlet manifold to allow you to connect a vacuum gauge for you know, tuning or something of that, that caliber. I use inverted mm -hmm. commas because um, you know, it is... Uh, more of a gimmick than it is really anything else <laughs> yeah i see mini performance says uh, that he sees loads of young people uh buying minis and joining their club i'm chuffed to hear that i cannot tell you how good i that is to hear I, i'm delighted and i hope that that is the case unfortunately i don't see it here in ireland as much we would be a much smaller population and have much less people in the car scene so i suppose maybe that's why I don't see that here. I suspect it might be similar in the UK or US as well, maybe because again, yeah. smaller group of, of minis available and, and more people, but I can imagine um, the cost of these cars. Yeah. You know. 
people people aren't looking at a mini and thinking, man, I really want to spend fifty thousand dollars on a mini. I fifty thousand dollars gets you a lot of much larger classic cars that have a much bigger fan base here. Um, it also so, gets you a chance of like college or something like that. <laughs> oh, that, that's like that's like a semester and a half of college. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I can imagine that 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 might be more important. <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started here. on healthcare. Yeah. yeah, we won't go there. Let's not go there. We love that with that one later. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh man. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? Oh, Ollie has an interesting, it doesn't look like there's a question here, but uh, lucky enough to watch Mini Cooper S's racing at Goodwood last weekend. I wondered how they were able to run their suspension so low. My race-ish, uh, high lows, red dot cones, and KYB shocks don't even get close. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Witchcraft, that's what's happening there. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> no, um, uh, Ollie, you passed a nice comment earlier. Thank you very much. You, you followed the Gearbox videos and you found them helpful. So thank you very much. Oh. Um, so shout out there. Um, also, to, to answer that to the best as I can, um, so I run, I, I, I have built one of these FIA Cooper S type minis. In fact, I'm wearing my uh, artisanalized picture of that car. Um, uh, how we get those to run that low, we modify the high lows very heavily. Um, we also modify, we, we have specifically made shock absorbers that are, are much, much shorter than the, the kind of ones you can buy OE from the factory. Um, and we run incredibly heavy bump stops. So basically, we, in those instances, want very little suspension movement at all because the car is not going through potholes or bumps or over speed ramps or anything like that. We just need enough suspension movement to allow the car to uh, be able to take up the surface of the track. And, and that's it really after that. So um, mm -hmm. you, you, you could, in theory, drive one of those uh, FIA race cars down the road, but you'd want to be really confident with your dentist's work uh, prior to that to that drive i can tell you that <laughs> oh my god i can't even imagine driving that on some of the roads here it hurts me to think about it <laughs> i i i have a very funny story actually of a friend of mine who i was working on his race car and he got a notion that he wanted to test his gearbox and he said sure i'll and it was one of these FIA cars. He said, I'll bring it up your lane. And beside my house is a, a very kind of straight private lane that it's probably half a kilometer long. But it, it it's it's a private lane. So it's not maintained by the, the roads people. It's uh. maintained privately by us. And it is perfectly passable for any kind of a normal vehicle. But boy, God, did he get some shots when he tried to <laughs> drive his race car up there. I think he said to me, he didn't take it out of first gear because he was terrified. I think was oh the word he used. I know that wasn't really a question, Ollie, but hopefully that answers what, what's going on there, <laughs> how they're working. <laughs> oh. oh, EJ ProMods has a pretty interesting question. How do you uh, line, how do you do line honing your, uh, for block in your garage? Uh, I would say you don't, <laughs> um, personally, I would not trust myself to do that correctly. Uh, but 
I think if anyone who would, would trust themselves or has the ability to do it, I think it's the other person on this on this call. <laughs> so, uh, tip my own cap here. Um, I did a video <laughs> series on exactly how I, I I did a video series on how I line bore engine blocks in my own workshop using my 1939 Colchester student late. Uh, well, actually, Colchester senior late. Um, but um, I don't actually line home. So um, uh, line honing is a third or a second operation. You bore and then you hone to size. Um, but I actually don't do line honing um, uh, because uh, you need a hone mandrel, which is this absolutely ginormous piece of equipment, which has a whole load of hones on it. And it's a mandrel and it would sit in the lathe and it spins. Uh, and I think there are about a thousand bucks for just one hone. So um, <laughs> no is the answer. Uh, for the four <laughs> engine blocks a year that I get to line bore, it wouldn't make any sense. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I line bore them and I hone them by hand. So um, I hone them using uh, honing stones and just hand hone them. And yeah. I, I haven't actually done a video on the honing process, but um, it's not very interesting. So yeah it um, is fun it's not interesting but it's fun yeah, yeah it's very uh, fun and um, the ones i use are an american brand actually um USA. what are they called they have all the little balls on them they're, they're yes um what are they called god the name i'm gonna see if i can here. find a photo here and share it yeah you probably have one i, I might have one in my toolbox here um, i don't have one i i i have used one when i worked in diesel mechanics but i never uh yeah uh, the brand is brilliant if i can think of who they are but and um, that that is one this is a small one it's for doing the um cam follower uh guides you can see oh yeah there. i've never seen one that tiny before that's cool yeah that, back into camera paul yeah so that's the one i used up for honing the cam follower guides so you can hone them out and make them the right size but yeah it's a little mm -hmm. tiny one but yeah you can get those to size for pretty much any size they're quite expensive that's the only thing um yeah. but they work brilliantly well yeah that's a much yeah. better picture of it yeah, yeah. so this is, and the little balls basically you you might have seen that kind of like cross uh um etched pattern in a brand new freshly cleaned engine block that's just been gotten back from the uh, excuse me the machine shop and this is the de the device that's actually doing that that's causing those little very pretty honing marks yeah so yeah that's that's it it's not by any manner of means the perfect way to do it line honing is the right way to do it where that's actually on a physical mandrel that sits in the engine block it's the right way to do it but minis being minis, um, it, it, if you can trust yourself and measure accurately enough, you, you can get away with it, uh, and you can make it. Work I think that's the, that's the problem. I don't trust myself. Yeah, yeah. It, to be honest with you, it's something that it, it it's so time consuming, and and it's actually so cheap to get it done by a professional that it doesn't make a lot of sense to mm -hmm. to tool up at home to do that kind of work. The only reason I do it here is because in Ireland, unfortunately, machinists are so few and far between um, getting that done is, on a mini block is nearly impossible in the UK. Really? Excuse me. Yeah, in the UK, you could get it done pretty much anywhere. Any 
decent machine shop will have the ability to do that. In Ireland, there's probably two that can do it um, that are within a reasonable distance of my garage. And um, I'd probably have to leave an engine block with them for a year before they <laughs> get around to actually doing it. So uh, that's yeah. why I tooled up and did it at home um, uh, to, to, to be have that inside my own ability. But yeah, unless you're living in a little small island like this, I think get the professional to do it <laughs> <laughs> i i actually I, I know this is sacrilegious because i have my channel literally has the, the term diy in it um but there are a certain few jobs that are just uh, you know they're just worth to bring it to a shop and have them do it i mean like you can spend some time in your garage and uh straight doing a string alignment which i think you recently did a video on um totally. and it's you end up with really great results um but um depending on where you are in the world for me it takes you know 70 bucks and i can bring the mini to a shop and they smack on some uh uh alignment ma uh, magnets and um and then i'm out out driving again so uh oh there there's so much stuff that it it totally depends on where you are and what you have available to you but uh, uh you know Mm -hmm. there's some stuff it just doesn't make any sense anymore you know yeah yeah let's see Alrighty. here oh here's a good one uh favorite grease for wheel bearings um oh I that's a very stuff. good one yeah yeah i i uh a, a lot of times you will find that the wheel bearings when you buy a kit akin to the things that I, we were complaining about earlier don't come with enough grease um or yeah, totally. come with a very high quality grease and uh, uh i'm curious to i'm gonna, I'm gonna i want you to start because i want to see what you have before i, before oh, I before so i use timkin's grease timkin actually supply a grease, uh -huh. um, and my local bearing supplier sells timkin bearing grease so i i literally just buy that for it, it comes in tubs i was looking back there to see if i've got one but I actually just realized I ordered some uh, on Friday, so <laughs> I don't have any. Um, oh. But yeah, that's what I use. I use the Timken brand. Um, Timken have their that's own really cool. branded. I'm not sure. It's obviously not their grease. It's just the grease that they support and have repackaged. Or maybe mm -hmm. somebody who knows will tell me, yeah, maybe Tim can do make grease. I don't know. But um, that's the one I use. And it's a kind of a dark red color. Um, it, 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 you see it in any of their very high quality greases. They generally tend to be that that dark red, high, uh, kind of very high viscosity. Um, they're just really good quality. But yeah, um, yeah. other than that, a good quality make like Liquid Molly or one of those, I presume, mm -hmm. would be good. What about you? I, I end up using uh, so for it depends on the type of bearing I'm, I'm installing. If for whatever weird ass reason I am installing the original ball bearings, then I will use a standard, you know, uh, ball bearing grease. Uh, that, um, but I tend to err on the side of synthetics when I can. Um, and I use a Valvoline high temp synthetic wheel bearing grease, um, especially with the, the roller bearings, the Timken roller bearings. And I have had really, really good experiences with that. Um, the wheel bearings on my mini when it's driving um, are deeply abused. I've just those poor wheel bearings and um, and it just holds up to it. I've, I've had wheel bearings. Usually I don't have to replace my wheel bearings, but once every two years, um, which is kind of all right for a mini, especially mm -hmm. when you beat the snot out of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I actually used to use that 
I think I used the exact Valvoline product you're talking about um, mm -hmm. previous until I found out I could get the Timken one. And that that's the only reason I changed from that one to the Timken one. But um, I, I would say for the roller bearings, yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes that grease, uh, I know Timken told me about this or, or one of the representatives told me recently about it, that they recommended a completely different non-synthetic grease for those. Um, Interesting. And, and I don't know why, but he had a very good reason for it. And I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. And it made me think, hmm, because I was just putting it in everything. And he said, no, um, certain roller bearings actually, that are ball bearings, it's not actually good because it can cause the ball to slip in the race rather than turn. Oh, interesting. Because if you look at the ball, it has a tiny, tiny surface area, whereas the roller has a massive surface area. So Yeah, it's, it's a huge surface. Yeah, That's interesting. I, I always did it just because it felt like it, it was more of just a feeling. That's cool to know that there might be a, an actual Yeah, reason. there is something about it. Yeah, he did. He definitely mentioned to me something. He recommended the, the, the lithium-based greases because of huh. the fact that, you know, there's a the 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 lithium powder in them which helps mm, them to roll mm -hmm. or something i don't know what it is but he 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 explained it to me properly i'll ask him again actually and uh i'll, I'll reference it the next time very cool yeah well definitely something about it we are coming up on two hours here um and so i want to give people just maybe a five minute warning or so. Uh, we're probably yeah. gonna be wrapping this up here shortly. So if you guys have any questions that you haven't asked, pop them into the uh, chat now um, and uh, and we will get those answered if, uh, if you have any more. Yeah, um, I suppose while we're waiting for those last questions to come in and um, usual thank you all very much for for tuning in and um, we've moved as you've noticed to uh, a sunday slot as opposed to the saturday slot that we did the last uh, three just just uh, people's feelings or if anybody has any um, comment to make on that i think we might try and do sunday for the next couple of slots um, mm -hmm. and if, if people are are cool with that um i know some people seem to be working on the saturdays and stuff so um maybe it's a yeah. bit better for people on the sunday for me it it makes no real difference and i know for cole i think you were saying the same it's kind of yeah um yeah but but uh yeah you know we all like hanging out and talking minis on a sunday huh yep wind down gotta yeah. just get out in the garage you know work on some yeah, stuff nice. even if there's nothing to yeah. work on <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. no I, I i like it i like it i think it's good yeah. yeah i also want to reiterate that thank you so much everybody who's uh joined in this live stream um it's been fun so far we have a few more questions rolling in so don't worry we'll get to those and uh um i think that i would also very much like to hear um you know what days work best for y'all um, and, uh, and, you know, obviously the weekends are probably the best days for both of us. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, it looks like we got a few folks over on, in, in Oceana, uh, logging in right now, um, early morning in New Zealand. Um, good morning, New Zealand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute. Hey. <laughs> what now? Um, uh, the internet always amazes me. It's isn't, isn't it so cool that we, there's people from all around the world able to to be uh, in. sit in our garage and chat about minis. It's cool. 
just casually talking to some folks that are you know five thousand miles away or however far away from they probably, are from, from probably both of us they're actually probably the yeah. same distance away from you and me pretty much the uh -huh. same i can't imagine there's much in the difference like yeah 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 it, yeah. It but, um, yeah that's cool yeah go anthony hartnett says bp8es plugs question mark for a 1380 uh, running 12.1 comp and a 300 cam runs up to 8,500 um, RPM. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seems fine yeah, to me. That, that would sound good to me. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, depends on the driving, I suppose. You, you, you mm -hmm. could potentially get away with a 7 if, if, if a lot of the driving was, was moderate to fast road. Um, but you would know very quickly whether you know um whether the sevens were getting too hot so you know i'd keep keep an eye on them and and see i i that style of engine sounds very kind of um uh kind of race orientated with that cam and i imagine it doesn't perform much below sort of 3000 rpm so yeah i would say you're probably fairly spot on with eights maybe just cold starting might be a small bit of a problem just watch it i'd say um when you're starting that motor, just keep it nice and warm. Don't don't let the rod revs drop too much in in the early part of starting that engine until you get a bit of heat into it. And you could fail an eight pretty easy there. But other than that, yeah, Salem USA. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Is that the Salem uh, from the Witch Trials? No, <laughs> I don't know. There's know a yet. few Salem's across the the East yeah. Coast actually. Oh. Winston Salem. It's like. Uh, What's the other one that that there's like Jacksonville? There seems to be like a hundred yeah. of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually from Jacksonville, Florida, and wow, that, there, there's a Jacksonville, North Carolina. I'm sure there's other ones I don't know about, but yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I knew a guy from Jacksonville, Florida as well. Not you, but another one. Hmm. Um, and and. I used to talk about him to other American friends of mine as the, the guy from Jacksonville, and they'd be like, okay, where? You, might Which one? Said, you might as well just said America, you know, you haven't, yeah. you haven't honed it down by saying Jacksonville. <laughs> I think Jacksonville, Florida might be the biggest Jacksonville of them all. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, know that for sure, that would, though. Would it be the one that would be most well known, maybe? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Oh man. Um, let's see here. I'll take a couple more questions and then I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, thoughts on the BMW twin cam head. Oh, mm. the BMW twin cam. I love them. Um, they are not for the faint of hearted. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you need to be pretty dedicated to the conversion and expect it to be less than straightforward. But when yeah. they're right, they're amazing. Yeah, I love them. I think mm -hmm. they're cool. And I love the yeah. idea of taking a motorcycle head and putting it on your little lowly mini. Um, that appeals to me. I like that. Yeah. The the, the bastardization of an A-series yeah. feels very uh, nice. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think, you know, it, it fits right in with a mini, right? It's just uh -huh. the right bracket to me. But yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. I would agree. I think, it, but to compound on that, I would say also that your pocketbook is very deep. Uh, they... Oh no matter which conversion kit you use, whether it's that, what, CAD billet version, or I think yeah. specialist components maybe oh. do a billet, or I, I don't even know. Um, yeah. it, none of them are cheap. None. 
and nothing fits out of the box and that's no slight on those conversion kits they, they, mm -hmm. they are what they are but nothing will work out of the box please do not go that way and think you're going to literally just empty out a box full of parts bolt them onto your mini engine ding, ding, and ding, it's ding, all ding. going to be yeah it's not going to be the case it absolutely yep. but no they're yep. cool they're cool all right. Why, why don't you pick our last question, Paul? All righty. Last question. Let me look here. Um, I did see one that I liked. Uh, oh, um, Max, is it Lizard? Would that be correct? Uh, any fifth gear options for the A series type engine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Uh, the one that springs directly to mind that I have any. Uh, Experience with is the mini spares option. They do uh, a really, really cool, well-engineered five-speed um, conversion. Um, Jack Knight did one as well, um, mm -hmm. uh, but they're they all have. A, there's no new ones of those. They all have a lot of miles on them. So I think the only brand new option. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe KAD do one as well. Still, I think they did do a dog leg five-speed gear kit as well at one stage. But yeah, for for a road going. Uh, a series mini yeah the five speed gear kit from or gearbox setup from mini spares is, is pretty top class really to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um yeah. i have a customer's mini which has probably the guts of ten thousand miles on it now with one of those and it's it's very mm -hmm. good yeah hasn't missed a beat that's so, yeah. nice yeah, those really uh, I, something to add, to add to the Jack Knight ones too is from my understanding, this is not direct experience. This is anecdotal and red experience that I've I've learned. But um, my understanding is that they are not very happy with high torque um, and uh, and high power engines, specifically high torque engines. So the um, the pinion supports the. Uh, the gear supports inside that gearbox just are not great for it. Um, granted, not many engine, many gearboxes in general are are happy with a lot of torque, but the the Jack Knight is especially uh, unhappy with it. Yeah, I think the there might be something with the mini spares one. There might actually be a caveat with that as well of like it's designed for only like a certain horsepower or a certain torque. I think I can't remember exactly, but I do think there's a caveat with their ones that's that says something similar. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're looking for high power, it's you're gonna be in better shape. If you're feeling like you need a um uh fifth gear, then it would it might be beneficial to uh, uh, reduce the size of your um, final drive gear uh, and it, create a taller final drive um, so that it's a little bit better in higher RPMs. You're going to lose out at the bottom end, um, yeah. but you'll probably find a solution there. Um, at least I have in my experience moving to like uh, from whatever final drive, maybe it's 3.4 or 3.1. Um, if you really have a lot of highway driving something like that moving to like a 295 um but again the bottom end will suffer um as a result yeah and watch those um really tall final drives as well the pinions tend to be um that they're off of only really well, unless you're buying new ones the original ones like in what were in the mpi minis were mm -hmm. a little bit weedy I don't think the materials was great in them. I've seen a few of those split. So, um, yeah, if you're going for those real tall final drives, just watch 
button. Uh, as I always say to people, just be careful about putting really sticky tires on a Mini because the very first fuse to blow is wheel spin. And if you get rid of wheel spin, well, something else is going to blow up the line. Yep, and, yep. Uh, You're just going to move that weakness high, higher and higher up to the... Yeah, it will be expensive. Yeah, wheel spin is very cheap. Everything yep. else, expensive. Yep, but it's very good. <laughs> good way to think about it. But, yeah. All righty. Well, okay, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again for everyone for joining this live stream. Um, and if you guys have any questions or things after this live stream about ignition, timing, anything like that, post it on either Paul's channel or my channel. The video will be available on both. Totally. Yeah. yeah, and we'll we'll do our best to answer them. Thank you all, everybody, for uh, tuning in. It's great. I really enjoy chatting with you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one. See you guys.